The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. We are turning now to the book of Colossians. We're going to Colossians in chapter 2. So let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to chapter 2. We're looking at just chapter 2, verse 8 this morning. It's on page 984 of a Bible in the Purak or whatever Bible you have. Come with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, as you're turning to Colossians 2, verse 8, various page numbers there on the screen and in your bulletin. Uh, let, me, let me give something of an extended introduction to what's happening both this week and, Lord willing, next week. Um, our world must be built upon some kind of agreed-upon norms and laws. Otherwise, humanity will not flourish. So let me tell you that yesterday, Mick and I were driving home from Presbytery. Uh, we were in uh, southern Illinois, Hillsborough area, which is near Litchfield, south of Springfield, and we were on our way back. We had made a stop, and we were getting back on the highway, and I would turn right onto the Clover on-ramp, you know, where the Clover exit ramp is just right next to it. And as I turn into the Clover on-ramp, I see a sign that's facing me that says, Do not enter. Okay? Now, I know that I'm in the right lane. And I'm in the right lane because there's an opposing lane. That's the Clover off-ramp. But they're very close to each other. And that sign was facing just right at me. And that's because it was so windy yesterday. The sustained winds were literally pointing the sign toward my direction to say, do not enter, even though I was in the right lane. The point, though, is that there is an objectively right lane. And there is an objectively wrong lane to travel such that if the sign had been cemented stronger, put into stronger foundation, it wouldn't twist and tell me the wrong way what was actually the right way when I was going the right way. Now, point being, I don't get to suddenly decide that the wrong way is the right way and the wrong way is the right way and the on-ramp is the exit ramp and the exit ramp is the on-ramp. Why? Because that's a danger to human flourishing. It would be dangerous. The sign is there in case someone is doing just that, though. It's saying, watch out. Be careful. And the concern is that when someone were to pull up to a sign like that and the sign says, do not enter, but they encounter that sign and say, who are you, sign, to tell me what road to drive on? I'll do as I wish. To me, this is the right way, so I'll drive as I please. Well, friends, these next two weeks, uh, we're going to be taking up something of a two-part reality in Colossians 2.8. When I planned out the sermon series in Colossians, it was always my intention to camp out here for just a little bit of an extended time to do a two-part unpacking of verse 8 in chapter 2. What we're going to be doing this morning is to unpack it uh, according to the original context, what Paul is saying, and then next week we're going to apply it. And we're going to apply it very specifically. And we're going to apply it, hopefully, very tenderly and graciously, but clearly to our time and present context. And we're doing this because it's important. Because when Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 8, he is writing a warning. He is giving a do not enter sign to protect you, to keep you going the right way. So, with that context in mind, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scripture and we will hear the Word of God this morning. Colossians 2, 
Verse 8, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you come upon us now in the power of your Spirit to illuminate our minds that we might understand, to illuminate our hearts that we might believe, and, and illuminate our very lives that we might live in accord with your truth and your glory. Father, help me as I preach and help us all as we sit under the authority of the Word. We are mindful that we are not sufficient for these things, that our human wisdom is not sufficient for these things, but by Your Spirit and through Your Word, we are given sufficiency. So bless now, Lord, the reading and hearing of Your Word to all of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, hear the Word of God, Colossians 2, just at verse 8, as Paul says, the Word of God. See to it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So may He write its truth in our hearts today. Let me, let me introduce this section of Colossians by, by showing you something of an outline of what Paul is doing in chapter 2 here. Paul is very clearly giving a warning. And you and I are, are not usually graciously receptive of warnings because just dispositionally, we don't like being told what to do. But the Apostle Paul is giving an apostolic word of warning and there's actually several of these in chapter 2. You'll actually see them. First comes there in verse 8. So look at the first one. It's chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Scan down to verse 16. He gives a second one in chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. And then in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So chapter 2 has these three warnings in verses 8, 16, and 18 where he says, let no one, and then gives a warning. Let no one take you captive, verse 8. Let no one pass judgment on you, verse 8, 16, verse 18. No, no one disqualify you. And then what he'll do is that he will give a warning and then he'll have a subsequent teaching section to apply why it is he's giving the warning. So, for example, the warning in chapter 2, verse 8, has a teaching section in 9, verse 15, where he explains why we should not be taken captive. Where then in verse 17, he applies why no one should pass judgment on you because God has already made a judgment upon us. And then in verse 19, why no one should disqualify us because of what God has done in Christ to qualify us. So there are warnings and then teaching applications. But I want to be very clear that the warnings are warnings for a very particular reason that he will then apply. But what we're doing, as I said, is we're camping out in the warning to understand it and apply it. Now, this is not uncommon in the Apostle Paul's writings in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul will often make very specific warnings to churches as they have a particular need to be warned. But sometimes the warning is very specific. For example, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is warning the church in the region of Galatia to not be subjected back to living life under the law, but rather to live by the gospel in Jesus Christ because you can't do enough good works to be made acceptable to God. The issue in Galatia was that people were trying to live by works to be accepted by God, and Paul in Galatians is warning them. 
Likewise, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Corinth was a church in utter chaos and disarray, and Paul goes issue by issue to say, this is what's going on, this is why it's an issue, this is how Jesus calls you to live rightly in Him. So, just to say, the book of Galatians, the book of 1 Corinthians has very specific, very particular warnings about individual issues. But uniquely, the book of Colossians, though it has warnings, are not specific warnings so much as they are general warnings. As if to say, Paul is writing to this new church. They haven't had time to experience the impact of what false teaching will have upon them, leading them astray, quite like the Galatian church has, quite like the church at Corinth has. And so where Paul is very specific in his warnings to those types of churches, to Colossae, who's really just at the beginning of their life as a church, Paul says, I'm not going to make specific warnings so much as general warnings because he's seen the impact of false teaching as it happens down the line. And so rather than let you get all the way to the ramp and then go the wrong way, he says, let me put the sign right at the entryway so that you don't go this way. Paul is giving these particular warnings. So these threats, these potential threats, have not yet materialized, but Paul knows of their danger if they were to materialize and how this church would be susceptible if they did, and so he's warning them. That's the context. And as he does so, he does it with apostolic authority, the word of Christ to this church. So, what is the warning? And in verse 8, He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. The word there, see to it, is an imperative. That means it's a command. Again, it is not a suggestion. The Apostle Paul is saying, Colossian believers, you must do this. You must be aware of this. Likewise, People of God in Edgington, you must hear this word of the Apostle Paul. See to it. Do this, he says. Not a suggestion, but a command. And the command is to be watchful that, again, no one takes you captive. Now, this language that Paul is using here is very particular. It has word pictures associated with it of that of a slave trader. Let no one catch you and take you captive, literally put you into slavery by deception. It carries this sense of being carried off, led captive as almost a slave trader takes up a slave. Uh, Many of you maybe know or are familiar with the story of 12 Years a Slave, the story of Solomon Northup, who is a, a, a free black man in the north, who's a talented violinist who actually gets swindled by slave traders saying that they were part of a traveling group of musicians, that he was going to go and play his violin around various cities and receive acclamation. He was caught up into slavery as he was deceived and taken captive literally into chattel slavery in the southern states. And he was deceived as he was told that it was for a righteous cause, but actually sold into slavery. That is the very word picture that Paul is using here to say to Christians, don't be swindled into bondage. Swindled into, literally, slavery. And how would it happen? Paul is saying you need to be watching out for those who would sell you literally into slavery. 
who would delude you. If you look back to chapter 2, verse 4, he's already said something about this in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So he's already introduced the fact that there are plausible arguments that people are trying to advance in the world that are contrary to the gospel. And here now he says about these plausible arguments, they are not just plausible to your ears, but they will literally take you captive. So as we think about what he is saying and why, let me be very clear about the fact that God has revealed his wisdom to the world and to walk in it is freedom. It's utterly fascinating to me that those who are convinced that God's ways are hostile to their joy would suggest that to go away from God's way is real freedom. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing and be free, they might say, when in reality it is a false freedom and an actual bondage is what Paul is saying. Real freedom, real life, real joy is found in God's Word, God's ways, God's truth, the beauty of God's design. And Paul says to the church, be watchful that no one is seeking to catch you up into slavery. And how might it happen? He uses these various descriptions. He says, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So what's he talking about here? They're kind of grouped together, but I'll just make quick comments about them. When he says philosophy here, just be very clear that he's not talking about the word like we might assume it. The word philosophy in and of itself is not a negative thing. The word just means literally love of wisdom. That's what the word means. Christians should be lovers of wisdom. But he's talking about philosophy in a worldview that is contrary to the way of Christ. So in the first century, the word philosophy would have been a very broad term with a kind of broad brush sweeping up of all manner of worldview and thought and reflection and way of life and morality, whether it was Greek philosophy, Aristotelian philosophy, Platonic philosophy, or other pagan philosophies. Paul is just grouping all of it together by saying philosophy. But of this philosophy, he is saying philosophy that is an empty deceit. Or another way of saying it's vain, it's empty, according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. Paul is referring to false religious instruction. So he is drawing a contrast between true wisdom and false wisdom. The way of Christ, the true wisdom of God, and false wisdom. And we know that that's the case because whether he's talking about philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, the issue with whatever worldview. You see, sometimes Christians get so caught up in scattering down all manner of different worldviews and we're trying to keep track of all the different thoughts people have. But Paul is categorizing these things in one of two ways. It will either be according to human wisdom or it will be according to Christ. There is wisdom and philosophy and insight and truth that is according to Christ and that which is empty because it is not according to Christ. This instruction is that which does not exalt Christ and therefore is empty and worthless. If these things are based on human wisdom alone and not according to divine revelation, Paul says, be warned lest you be held captive by these things that would trap you and put you into bondage. 
Now, just to be very clear, when God reveals His truth to the world, there is both the truth of special revelation as He gives it in the Scripture to reveal Jesus Christ and the salvation that is offered in His name. There is special revelation, but there is also what the Christian tradition identifies as you know, just general revelation. For example, you don't need the Bible to know that 2 plus 2 is 4. Common grace wisdom. Truth, if you will, with a lowercase t, is true because God says so. Because He ordered a moral world. Because He ordered a moral universe. 2 plus 2 is 4 ultimately because God ordered things in reality to be wise and orderly. So again... Even though human wisdom is subject to life in a fallen world, there is still truth to be found in the world. There is still beauty to be found in the world. Even things that are not explicitly Christian because wherever there is beauty in the world, it is beautiful because God has made it beautiful. So you can, for example, see a painting and appreciate its beauty. And if the artist is not a Christian, that suddenly doesn't make it not beautiful. It's still beautiful there's just a worldview behind it that might not be of Christ. This kind of helps Christians navigate the culture in a way that is not so hostile that says if it's not explicitly Christian, it's all evil. But 2 plus 2 is 4, no matter if your math teacher is a Christian or not. Why? Because God says so. Now, we should also say, if we get to a point where people suggest 2 plus 2 does not equal 4 because I don't feel like it does, what will we be left with? 2 plus 2 is 4 because God says so. And if we get to a point where people say that it is not, we are in trouble. But back to what Paul is saying here. That if a worldview or if a wisdom or if a tradition lacks the content and value of the truth of God in Jesus Christ, it does not have firm basis. What Paul is saying then is that Christ and the gospel becomes the measuring stick of all true wisdom and insight and knowledge. It is that which accords with Christ and that which is in discord with Christ. One more time in verse 8, Paul says, see to it that no one enslaves you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So let's get right to some application about this. In Paul's time and then... Next week, especially in our time. What should we do with this? What should we do with this? Well, Paul says there is wisdom in the world and we need to be mindful that we're not being taken captive by particular kinds of wisdom. Well, what we could do perhaps is we could take away our insistence of God's wisdom and we could remove the wisdom of the gospel. We could remove the truth of God's word because when people tell us that, that basically if we're Christians and we believe these things, we must be cultural dinosaurs and we don't want to be cultural dinosaurs and we say, never mind, I don't believe that anymore and we'll remove everything distinctive and we'll just, we'll just kind of remove that and say, sorry, we don't believe that anymore. That's one option, I suppose. Or we could say, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things which are offensive inside of it. We're going we're gonna to add to it so as to remove the offense by adding additional things. Such to say, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But if you want to go some other way, that's okay too. Such to say that Jesus is true for me, 
But if something else is true for you, that's fine as well. And we would add to the gospel in this syncretism of just kind of this melting pot of all religious views and say it's all fine, it all, it all is good. We could take away the gospel, we could add to the gospel, or perhaps we could abandon the gospel altogether and forsake the entirety of the Christian faith. And Paul is writing to the Colossian Christians to say, don't take any of these routes. Don't deny the Christian faith and take something away from it. Don't add to the Christian faith because you're embarrassed by it. And don't abandon the Christian faith altogether because all of those options will put you away from freedom and into slavery. All of those things would be that which takes you captive. And so there is this very real warning to the church to watch out for this. To watch out. So, what do we need to do? Not these things. What do we need to do, hopefully, in a more helpful application? And again, let me say, next week, we're going to try to explain this in a little more application. But I would venture to guess, and as I've thought about this a lot, the Christian church has mainly two primary options as it relates to the application of this warning from Paul. We could isolate ourselves... We could turn inward. The church could go into preservation mode, hide away and protect ourselves from the scary world around us. And let me just say, if you feel any of that impulse, I get it. I understand why you might think that way. This notion of kind of hide away, I'm just scared, I don't want to see this, I'm concerned about it, I just want to protect myself and I'm going to hide away. But remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are salt, you are light. Salt in the sense of you are a moral preservative in the world. You preserve the natural effects of rotting and decay. That's what salt is for. It preserves. You are light, Jesus says. You shine where there is darkness. If you don't shine the light, there will only be darkness. And so isolation then, loved ones, is not the answer. The plan for the Christian church is not to create a Christian ghetto where we will never ever be exposed to anything contrary to what we believe. That's not helpful. And that's not the mission of Jesus. So rather than isolate, we must Engage. Engage. Because there is nowhere to escape the fact that this is a fallen world, so the church must press in. We must engage. We must speak. We must talk. We must listen. We must engage things with the gospel. And again, that's what we hope to do next week, hopefully as a good example. But while we press in, the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived. As you engage these various worldviews, as you hear these various ways of thinking, don't be taken captive by them. Rather, Paul says, as a word of conclusion, and we're emphasizing this, rather than being taken captive to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world, Paul wants you as a Christian believer to be taken captive by Jesus Christ. To be compelled by Jesus Christ. To understand that the good news of the gospel informs all of your life 
and the way you look at the world. The gospel tells you the truth about life. The gospel tells you the truth about yourself and about your neighbors. The gospel orients and interprets reality to us. As Paul says earlier in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the one who holds all things together. Things make sense because of Jesus. And outside of Him, there is disorder and a lack of sense. Furthermore, as a final word of application to this, Paul wants us as Christians to be taken captive by Christ and not according to these elemental spirits because Jesus Christ Himself has in Colossians 1 verse 13, He's the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and given us redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He has led us out of captivity, Paul says, which is why he gives the warning. Because Jesus has led you out of captivity, don't be deceived by placing yourself back under the bondage of that which is not according to Christ. Remember what he said earlier in Colossians, Christ is all. He's the one who makes sense of your life. He's the one who calls you to live your life for Him, orients reality for you, and tells you here is the most satisfying, most joyful, most free way you could possibly live, Jesus says. It's in me. It's in me. May God give us grace to understand this word and believe it with all our hearts. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures and the truth that they'd reveal to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are mindful that there is plenty of wisdom in the world which is actually not wisdom, which will lead us into bondage. And so, Lord, help us to be mindful of these things. And help us not to cower in fear and help us not to be ashamed, but help us to cling closely to Christ so that we might know Him as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, bless Your people, we pray, with this wisdom we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.